Annyeonghaseyo. Welcome to Afternoon of Delight, where Leah, Megan, and Amy, three American romance novelists discussing all things K-romance from a writer's lens. We fangirl over our favorite actors and actresses, talk up our trope addictions, and nerd out on K-drama deep dives. We'll throw in a few K-pop and K-skincare wrecks for good measure, because why not ride the hall you wave all the way to shore? So grab some deck bookie and listen to your new favorite unease. Hello. Hello. It's just us tonight. Leah and Megan. Yes, the monkeys have taken over the zoo. (laughs) (laughs) So this week, we all ended up taking an assessment. It's done by Gallup, and it's called Strengths Finder. And it kind of helps you identify. There's like 34 strengths that they identify, and then it ranks them for you. And kind of like the premise is knowing what you're good at And focusing on that is like a good thing to do rather than like being weakness driven and being like, I need to correct my weaknesses. Look at what you're good at, lean into that and try to figure out like, that's where you're going to show up well. So I've done this before. Megan was doing it for a writing workshop. Amy kind of like hopped on board and then we all compared our results together. (laughs) (laughs) It was, it was not unexpected, but it was still very, very hilarious. Yeah. So anything that had to do with organizing logic being driven by tasks and motivated by productivity and doing was Amy. Is anyone surprised? <laughs> and Megan and I had none. We had those. no strengths in that area. None. none. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> that's why we call Amy the leader or like RM of BTS of the group, because she, if it, like, let me just say, if it wasn't for Amy, like shit just wouldn't get done. <laughs> I, I mean, we we just have podcasts that were like 90 years long because we would never stop. That's another thing. And I mean, that's why the podcasts that are just Leah and I always end up being just sometimes chaos because we can't stay on task without Amy, but it's just, it was so funny. It's like Leah and I are like head in the clouds. Just, we just want to build relationships and we just want to learn. <laughs> yeah. All of our strengths were in absorbing information. I think what what were some key differences? Some key differences. I think you came out a little more charming than I did and more kind of like <laughs> relational driven. And I felt like I came out a little bit more in terms of really enjoying when people are following what's giving them purpose and making them happy. I felt like those were things. Whereas Amy was very much, I find deep joy in knowing my homework assignment and getting it done. <laughs> And it's a joke on the podcast because like, if we don't give like Amy wants direction and if we try to change the direction on her at the last minute, she's not not, happy. Not even a little bit. (laughs) Like, and so if we're doing something for the podcast, Amy needs like a specific set of instructions. Like that makes her happy. And if you tell her, yes, Amy, this is what we're doing. She's like, great. And she gets it done. And it's like, perfect. Cause like Amy always understands the assignment basically. (laughs) And Leah, what was really funny is her work. So my worst skill was discipline, right? (laughs) No, being deliberative, deliberative and discipline were my two worst. Mm -hmm. And her lowest was ideation, which I was really high in. And she was like, does this mean I have no ideas? So like, I went back to like reflect on what it says. And essentially it was like, no, you're kind of just driven by a more abstract thought. And it's often common for you to communicate ideas in a way where some people have a hard time because you can start a conversation like midstream, you can start a conversation and folks aren't grounded to what you're saying. I'm like, oh yeah, like that's my husband's, like that's the song of his people is is that. And Amy was like, oh, because I never know what you're talking about. Well, I do notice in the podcast, sometimes when, sometimes you and I like have a thought, but we don't give background on that thought first. So it just kind of comes out of left field. Amy's like, okay, guys, let's back it up. You're saying this because of this. And she's the one who like makes it make sense for you. So sometimes you don't see that behind this or you don't see what we do behind the scenes because we've edited it. But a lot of times it's Amy having to be like, hold on guys, (laughs) give some background. So it was just, it was really, really funny. So we're going to try and be on task this podcast. I've got a timer. I've got a timer going. Right. And Megan and I are going to try to be responsible adults. Right. So we're watching, we're, or we're talking about my name and for the record, we were giving Amy some more details about it. And she was like, no, no, absolutely. Not. So this was not a drama. So the reason Amy's not here tonight is because the drama that we're talking about tonight has, um, 
a lot of violence. Yeah. And so for some folks, that's just not going to be it for them. Amy is someone who does not like to watch a lot of violence. Yeah. It's just not and, her bag. She probably no. would not enjoy this. Leah and I did enjoy it, but I honestly flat out don't even think Amy would enjoy it. So there's no way we're going to make her watch it. <laughs> right. And if you do not enjoy violence, you don't have to watch it, but you can listen to us talk about it because it is an interesting drama to discuss. So let's get into it. Correct. Okay. So a determined heroine with plot armor, a too hot for his own good gangster, a too good for his own good police detective, and a baddie who turns even badder all make up the cast of My Name, a 2020 Netflix drama that's bloodier than a zombie apocalypse. Jiwoo, played by Han So-hee, witnesses the murder of her father and dedicates her entire life to getting revenge from aligning with her father's gangster boss to posing as a police detective. This drama had a hard-driving, relentless external plot, but didn't sacrifice characterization for the main lead as well as a few side characters. This drama is hard to discuss without spoilers, and I think it is best going into it without knowing much at all, but we have a few discussion points before we get into spoilers. So this drama, as we said, was heavy on external conflict. This isn't to say that internal conflict didn't come into play because it did, but it was far more plot-driven than character-driven. Let's talk a bit about the differences between the two different story types. There's often two types of stories, one being plot-driven, one being character-driven. Of course, there's elements of both in all stories, and some are quite evenly split down the middle. Like I would kind of argue Harry Potter seems very split down the middle between being character-driven and plot-driven, but this really felt to me like it was a a heavy plot-driven story. So I just want to touch a little bit on like the pros and cons of both. So for me, a good character-driven story is going to have some of the following components. There's going to be some pretty compelling backstory that's quite developed. So these folks, these characters are going to feel like real people. There's going to be conflict in the story, but it's usually the kind of conflict that results in personal transformations that are gained through inner struggles. I feel like there's quite clear points of view. Like since your characters, like so much is hinging on the characters, they really need to stay in kind of like their wheelhouse of the character and don't really tend to go out of character unless there's a really good reason for why like they're behaving out of character. And talking about cons, like look, these can character driven stories can be more of a quiet story. Um, They can be more meandering. So you need to be able to slow down a bit and enjoy the unfolding. So I would say that K-dramas that come to mind off the top of my head that are really good examples of character-driven stories are all the Reply series and like Hospital Playlist. These are very character-driven stories. That's not to say that there's no external plots in them, but like really the the point of watching these is to be with the character. Then for a good plot-driven story, you're going to learn more about who your characters are and what they're doing than how they think or relate to each other. So I would say that events in a plot-driven story are kind of more important than the character growth and development, although those do happen usually in a good plot-driven story. But, you know, we're going to see lots of twists. We're going to see a lot of world building. We're going to see a lot of action. Mm -hmm. And so for me, when I think of plot-driven stories that I personally like, because Megan has a lot of plot-driven stories I know she can talk about. But for me, I think of things like Star Wars or Lord of the Wings, Lord of the Wings, Lord of the Rings, <laughs> um, where I really enjoy the characters in them, but like really like they're up against these like big kind of epic battles of dark and light and things like that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, I even think of like Jurassic Park movies, things like that, where there's like this big something is pressing on the main characters and forcing them to act rather than the characters themselves making choices. You know what I mean? Sometimes I feel like a, a like a solely plot driven story is one where the plot is chasing the characters the whole time and the characters aren't necessarily like bumping up against it or they are but they're you know glancing off they're not like weaving in and out there's like a gradient right like I'd say it's kind of like when you look at sexuality and there's a gradient there's a gradient between like plot and character so you could have some things that are purely plot and there's like very little character development and then it kind of like gradates across Totally. Like I even think of like Healer, like to me, Healer is actually a really great example of a plot driven story with amazing character development. Like I think that was a really well woven K-drama. Like, are you surprised that I'm mentioning that? Um, I do. I will say your point of view fact is is interesting because I do think sometimes that can distinguish between a plot driven or a character driven like when you're watching a scene do you feel like you're watching it through a character's eyes or do you just feel like you're watching kind of a group interacting 
And I think that that's, you know, we just talked about the silent sea last week. Spoiler, I would consider that to be very plot driven because I think there are many points where things are happening and it's just characters running around and you don't really know whose point of view you're seeing a scene from. So uh, whereas I think if you're watching the Harry Potter movies, I do think you're really clear or reading the books, but I do think it's very clear how you're that you're seeing a scene from a very specific character's point of view. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah, to me it does. And I feel like also when I think of the character arcs, like something like Hospital Playlist, we watch two seasons of, you know, let's say a doctor who may not want to relate much to people who by the end of it is open to like riding an elevator with folks and smiling, which seems like very small. If I was like, that's the story, you know, people aren't going to be like, oh my gosh. Yeah. But there's a lot of like heart and depth that comes with those kind of character growth things. Yeah. When I think of other books that are more plot driven than character driven, things that come to mind for me um, in terms of books would be Ready Player One or Gone Girl. But again, like, again, strut like this doesn't mean that it's all one or the other, like a very good, I think when something's good, it has both, but it definitely tends to lean a little bit more to one or the other side. Mm -hmm. Um, Da Vinci Code, anything by Lee Child, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, and I would say kind of just like anything my husband wants to read is going to be more coming from like (laughs) a plot driven um, basis, but usually he does like to have his things grounded with strong characters. Right. I mean, so this is the thing I would say, like, I know that you like obviously hospital playlist, and the reply series, like that's definitely your wheelhouse. And I love it. I would say, I don't mean to bring healer up again, but I would say that that strong external plot with the characterization woven through it is personally my favorite. I really do love a hard driving external plot. I I adore it. I just always want the characters to have agency and there to be character growth. And it's hard, like that's hard to write. You know, if it was, it is. And when they, and when you can hit that perfect blend of both, I think you get something like crash landing on you, which has both. And I think that's really when like, you can bring everyone to the table and everyone's happy and you have a hit. I completely agree with that. Like I would say lawless lawyer for me was way more plot driven. I'm not saying I didn't enjoy it, but I would say like the character growth in that was, was a little bit more minimal. I mean, we can, we can argue with that, but I, compared to some other K-dramas I've seen. Oh, no, 100%. Yeah. Well, not you, are you? I'm, <laughs> okay. I know you wouldn't. I'm just saying some, <laughs> some people might think. But, you know, so, so yeah, I would say something like that would be not, I, I just always want there to be, to be character growth, but, uh, but I'm never going to turn down kind of like a high stakes premise with, and that would be obviously a, a heavy internal plot, external plot, really fucking with the characters that's my favorite (laughs) whereas if someone comes to me with like there's a lot of angst Mm -hmm. there might be like love triangles and like that's going to be what gets me and so I guess yeah that's the next question is like what are we more attracted to plot or character driven stories for me I feel like I really can appreciate a plot driven drama or a story and you know but for those of you like out listening to this, I don't think you're that surprised by the fact that I tend to naturally gravitate towards character-driven stories. You know, I think we reference like the strengths quest, you know, assessments that we're taking. What comes out really clearly, even on that on paper is like, I am curious about people. I like to know what makes them tick. I think it's interesting for those of you who haven't maybe listened to us much before or at all. I'd say I'm the one out of um, the podcast hosts here in the group who is most likely to get the Uber driver's life story on the way to the airport, which I've done (laughs) dozens of times. (laughs) Um, And I do, I enjoy inner conflict. I enjoy angst. Um, But just like how a good plot driven story doesn't abandon all character, or if it does, it kind of sucks. A good character driven story has enough in the plot to propel me forward. And that's why, you know, I just wanted to throw in that I was 100% fine with all the surgeries and hospital playlists <laughs> because I felt like that is where we got some external, you know, <laughs> plots in the story. Megan, Megan wasn't a fan of all it. the surgeries. I love it. I love it. I love it. So whose performance in this drama left a lasting impression on you? Look, when it comes to my name, I give a slow clap on this whole cast. This is a short drama that leans heavy on violent action and adrenaline. And last week we talked a bit about The Silent Sea and no big spoiler, but I felt like that was a drama that forgot characterization. 
And here I want to present an antidote, which is for the short time we were with this cast, they all left a lasting impression on me. And I feel like really brought their like A plus game. So Hansi He for me was like the million dollar baby for the 21st century who happily doesn't have to, you know, end the drama eating her own tongue. An Bo Hyun could literally read me the phone book at this yeah. point and I'd be happy. I felt like Park Hee Soon was super compelling as the gangster overlord who is very hard to pin down. And I want to give a shout out to Yoo Kyung Ho, who is um, the dad and he gets almost no screen time, but he crushes it to the point that I genuinely mourned his loss. Oh my gosh, you're so right. You're, I did. I mourned him. I wanted to cry for him. Just his very short performance. That's not a spoiler. You obviously know that her dad dies and she wants to avenge his murder. We said that in the beginning, but um, I, you're right. I loved him. As for me, so I loved everyone. Hanso, he was, was, was really incredible. I mean, I completely believed her performance. I would say, look, I'm always going to show up for Anbo Hyun. Okay, so he performed how I thought he would and I adored him. I would say who surprised me was Chang Riol. And he played Do Ganje, who we'll get a little bit more into him, but he slayed his performance. Just yeah, everything about it from the start of the drama to the end, I thought he was freaking great. And this was, I wrote this question and I'm really excited about it. If anyone has heard our Lawless Lawyer podcast, you'll get this one a little bit too. So who would win in a fight? Choi Moon Jin from My Name or Ano Ju from Lawless Lawyer? <laughs> Props to this question because I really had to think about it. I know. And here's where I landed is okay. I think, I think, so I think that Choi Mujin has like the fighting chops and he's a bit younger. And so I'm going to say that in a fight, it's going to seem like he's going to take the cake and that Anoju is going to be there bloody chest heaving, looking like he's going down, but then he's going to do something totally effing crazy, like bite off Tway Mujin's ear and then disembowel him as he screams. <laughs> so I'm going to hand the villain fight trophy back to my lawless lawyer, babe, Anoju. That is beautiful. So that was actually, I, I was going to say, look, I mean, Choi Mu Jin is, is dirty. He's a dirty gangster, but no one is as dirty as Ano Chu. He's going to shove his toe sock into Choi Mu Jin's mouth. Exactly. Like, <laughs> no one fully believed that Ano Ju would win. And you're right. He would do it in a bloody, horrible way. Oh, and the way you, you wrote that, I mean, that's fitting for my name because this drama is bloody. Like, that's bloody. before we get to the next question, I just got to say, I mean, the main character Han So He plays. She is bloody like 95% of the job. Buckets, just buckets of blood buckets at all times. <laughs> okay. And so Leah wrote this, but it makes sense. Which bad daddy does Leah want to <laughs> want to take behind the shed? No, which bad daddy do I want to take me behind the shed? Oh, which bad daddy does <laughs> Leah want to take her behind the shed? <laughs> This is a question I gave myself. I know, I love it, I love it. <laughs> and it was a question that honestly kept me up last night. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> oh God, I feel like I give away a lot of my like inner psyche to a lot of folks who don't know me and might judge me, but that's okay. No, no, no one's going to judge you for the Ano Ju and Choi Mu Jin. Now look, both of these options, yeah, both of these options, Choi Mu Jin or Ano Ju as like bad daddies is pretty spectacular. So I think it really what it depends on is how much I want to hate myself the oh next my God. day. <laughs> so I feel like Choi Mu Jin feels like, okay, he is murdery and a baddie, mm -hmm. but he is debonair. 100%. And so most of the time I'd say, if you're going to get debauched by a villain, like that's going to be the mm -hmm. choice, right? He's going to smell like good mm -hmm. cologne, mm -hmm. <laughs> but sometimes you just need a bad, bad daddy. And that's where Anoju with his doomy voice, gold chains and toe socks is there to scratch. The that <laughs> is amazing. I mean, <laughs> I love that you called Choi Mujin debonair. It's so true. He really is. He had, he had like a class act about him, like for a gangster, whereas Anoju is just straight up 
like fish born in a fish market gangster. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I feel like, like Poiminju would be like going to Vegas and being in the high roller suites and sipping champagne mm-hmm. and Anoju is going to be mm-hmm. like at the quarter slots, just <laughs> slapping your ass. no he's gonna be at like the brothel he's gonna be at like the brothel sipping whiskey being like sit on my lap little girl that's what i would love it can you imagine if amy was here right now no i can't so i'm really (laughs) (laughs) the auto-ju voice if i could bottle it i'd probably just like get pregnant right it's insane it's insane like i we've talked about lawless lawyer a lot on this podcast Which I, and I and I don't even like Lola I know you didn't I did you didn't even really like it but but I will always tell everyone watch Lawless Lawyer just for the villain like Anoju's amazing oh man okay well let's get to our favorite segment of the podcast and this week it's Leah with a k-pop rep of the week and apparently I'm just this is pervert hour because I asked specifically to do a k-pop rack of the week yeah. And it's because I was thinking for some reason when sometimes I'm not like a mystical genius or anything, but sometimes when I think of shows, I think of shows and there's like a color associated with it to me. Mm-hmm. And when I think of my name, probably because of all the blood, but it's also a dark fight, like a dark, darkly shot drama. A lot of the times I feel like I see like a lot of black and a lot of red. Usually it reminds me a little bit of my K-pop wreck of the week, which is um, Red Lights by Stray Kids, specifically um, Bang Chan, the leader of Stray Kids, and then Hyun Jin. And this is a great song. It's really sexy. I feel like it really could have been like on the OST to my name, honestly. And I just wanted to give a shout out because there is just like a very kind of like desperate, violent sexuality to my name sometimes and I feel like there is the same energy that shows up in the music video to this which is a music video that when I first watched it I was so delighted to see it because it's essentially just like kink fetish extraordinaire but like you know it's still in this like bizarro k-pop world where folks aren't meant to date publicly (laughs) and like everything needs to feel like slightly virginal yet we go to the video and we're doing lots of these two guys in chains chained together choke holding each other highly queerly erotically charged um yes and so anyway I love the song I think the music video is like its own special something that like drink a glass of water while you watch it and I just felt like the song really could have fit well within within this drama. So that is Red Lights by Stray Kids. If you enjoy our podcast, you have our patrons to thank, at least in part. Afternoon of Delight Patreon allows us to keep creating content for y'all to enjoy. Thank you so much to everyone who is supporting us there. And not to brag, but our Patreon community is pretty awesome. And you can join at a tier that feels good to you. Gain access to fun perks like K-drama posts, monthly Patreon-only bonus podcasts, and even a live K-drama support group on Zoom. Because we know firsthand what it's like to have no one to talk to about those crazy plot twists, amazing characters, and all those feelings. And look, no one should have to walk that walk alone. So learn more by visiting afternoonadelight.com. That's www afternoonadelight.com. And hey, while you're on the website, you can check out Afternoon Delight podcast merch, find links to book recommendations, bop along to our K-pop recs, glow up your skin with K-merch recs, find all of our social media and a link to our email so you can send us recommendations or feedback. And hey, while you're at it, why don't you pop over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review? It really helps with our discoverability. Gamsamnida. So, you know, we did say that this is a drama that's best to know very little about. However, if you have seen this drama, please stick around for our spoiler section. And if you feel like our um, absent co-host, Amy, that you really don't want to watch people just get beaten to bloody little hunks of flesh, 
then stick around, just listen to us talk about it. So you don't have to see it. <laughs> so Han So-hee is told by her father's gangster boss that a police issued gun killed her father. So she aligns herself with his gang and then poses as a police officer, all while loyal to the gang, complete with a like boob tattoo that is poorly done in order to find her dad's killer. But she quickly finds that she doesn't know who to trust. So the plot definitely keeps you guessing. Did this work for you? And did you guess any plot points? So I think Megan put that in just so that she could brag she did. Yeah. I did not. Apparently I am, I will say I am not great. Like I am not the one who's going to sit at the movie theater and spoil stuff. I guess I just like don't guess plot points very much. So I didn't guess this. I just wanted to say before you kind of get into your like humble bragging <laughs> about how you guess some of this is that we say earlier that she sees her father get murdered and she does, but she's mm -hmm. seeing it through like an eye hole in her door. Mm -hmm. And the murderer is all in black and face covered. And so you don't actually, she sees her father get killed and she does like catch glimpses of the murderer, but she doesn't know who it is. So that's like part of the mystery. So I just like for anyone who hasn't seen the drama, who's still with us in the spoiler, that's kind of like, you know, we say she sees the murderer, but she doesn't know who the murderer yeah, is. Yeah, good point. Well, so this is, I feel a little bad because I kind of pulled, if you listen to our podcast where Amy said she kind of spoiled Spider-Man for her kids, I kind of did this to eight, to Leah because I did ask you though first. I was like, look, I have a guess. Do you want me? And it was, it a, was guess. a guess. It was a guess. I, it wasn't, and, and I asked if you wanted to hear it and you're like, yeah, sure. So yeah, so this is totally my ego, but I was really proud of myself. But I, I think part of it is I have seen so many gangster movies <laughs> like a lot. And I feel like that's not Leah's wheelhouse, but I have seen enough gangster movies that that's why I guessed. So very early on, I did guess that Choi Mujin was the one who actually killed her father. So just because I kind of thought that's where it was going and especially how much he pushed her, I feel like he was using her to kill off his like enemies. And essentially that was what he was doing. But the whole plot twist that came in with her dad actually being an undercover cop, I thought was really freaking cool because she fell into being a cop just to kill a cop who killed her dad. She didn't really, it, it wasn't like police detective work was her calling or anything. So then to get into it kind of on false premises, but then find out that that actually is why her father died because he devoted his life to undercover detective work in the narcotics division, I just thought was, was really, was really well done and heartbreaking. And I think that was part of where the characterization came in. It, it came with a great black moment where she realizes that her pseudo father figure, who also in a tragic, you know, turn of events. I think that we see throughout the show that he has really come to care for this person that he's been using for vengeance. He, and he truly loved her father who had betrayed him. And we see throughout the show that like, she would make him chamomile tea when he couldn't sleep and he would drink it out of a thermos and feel affection for her. Like, I believe that was all authentic. However, he was still planning to like use her and discard her if need be. And when she realizes that he like, I lost my train of thought when, oh, <laughs> um, I'm oh, trying okay. to think of what I was trying to get to. And so I think that like, for me, the black moment really hit heavy in when she realizes that she has been like essentially a fake cop to try to like be, she's really a gangster pretending to be a fake cop. And then she realizes that her father was the exact mirror of pretending to be a gangster, pretending Ugh. like to be a gangster. And just like, it was very simply done really. Like, that's not like a big Correct. complicated thing, but it was, it just really like, again, this is like where sometimes like silent C tries to do too much and can't hold and it just falls apart. This was fairly tightly done and it came with a huge amount of emotional impact. Oh my gosh, you're so right. And I, one thing I did like, to, I always love a complicated villain. And that was what I love Choi Mujin because he was still holding true to like his gangster ways and he was still using people, but you knew that he did care for her. I mean, he was going to use her, but he did, he did have affection for her. I think in like, almost like a daughter kind of way. And he really did love her father. And he felt when he found out that her father was an undercover cop, he, he killed him because he's like, you're, you were my best friend. And now I find out you betrayed me. And Choi Mujin was the one who pulled the trigger. And 
I really kind of loved that to the end, he did like love her father. Do you know what I'm saying? I thought that they were, I liked that he wasn't just this guy who didn't care about anyone. He truly did. And probably if he hadn't have cared about her father, he wouldn't have personally killed her, but he cared so much or personally killed him, but he cared so much that he did. He was a really good villain. And he had like, yeah, some of that like gangster code, which is always interesting. And I also really appreciate that he's the one that gets his hands dirty when it needs to get dirty. Like he's going to be the one that's going to do the thing. Um, I thought that worked well for him. And, um, and yeah, I feel like sometimes we do talk about how love and hate can be very, you know, you keep going too far in love and you keep going too far in hate and you can get into this messy area where they kind of collide. And I think that that was where he was with both the father and the daughter. Yeah, I agree. In this drama, we have a female protagonist who's in a highly physical and often violent role. Megan, does Han So He make you want to up your workout game? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah. So I loved her in this role. I thought she knocked it out of the park and was really believable. I did see an interview with the director or writer. I'm really sorry. I can't remember which it was. I think it was the writer who wanted a beautiful woman in this role. And Han So E is definitely beautiful, but she also was believable as like a badass fighter. I think she, she had like the body type for it. And it, and it is crazy because you see her in like a drama, like nevertheless, which I haven't seen, but I've obviously like seen trailers and stuff. And she's, yeah, she's stunningly beautiful. And she really did. And she smiles a lot. Like you see like interviews with her and she's like really sweet and smiley. And in this one, she's like, I mean, just full, I fully believed her as a female gangster. Um, I, I will, as I do want to say, as Leah would say, I want to give a wag of the finger to her plot armor because- <laughs> Holy crap. Like Maybe the, define the, what plot armor is. Okay, so plot armor is basically like the character survives things that are just unsurvivable. Like Wiley Coyote. Just over basically. and over again. <laughs> yeah, like, like just exactly. Like Wiley Coyote. Like the plot just keeps saving her. She's got armor against the plot. Well, I guess you could say. But, you know, I mean, and like I said, I love good plot armor. I watch the Die Hard movies. <laughs> Like, you know, trust me, Bruce Willis should not have survived like anything and Jason Bourne, same thing. Um, but this was almost more ludicrous because it was some, at some, you know, there, at one point there's, she's training, she's in like gangster tra- training, so there's cage, like they're cage fighting. Yeah. They're basically cage fighting. And, and, and these men are huge jacked. And they're trained. So they're, they, and they've been training longer than her because they've been there for a long time. She's okay. And she can't, hmm? she's the newbie. Yeah. She's the newbie. She comes in. And I think like every once in a while, they have basically like a big fight, like where everyone fights each other. It's just like a big brawl. And the last one standing gets, uh, I think they get like money. It doesn't really matter, but the, the head gangster. Tra- and she, yeah. Yeah. Chui Mujin like awards the best fighter. Okay. So she's in a room with these huge dudes and again, who are trained fighters. It's not like they're like, you know, mall cops <laughs> and she lasts the longest. And I'm like, look, 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 look. I'm not saying she can't hold her own against some against, but just sheer body weight. These guys would have been able to throw her around. I mean, it was kind of ridiculous and she you know she kills people in like various ways but like easily but then she can get stabbed like approximately a dozen times and still lives and and you know again I love plot armor sometimes but I just I did get to the point where I was like this is a little over the top I mean and she like burns off her own tattoo like (laughs) with a cigarette lighter I have to admit that was a really cool scene that was cool I believe that more than yeah I mean the last the last fighter standing was definitely but this is where you know sometimes I feel like maybe I show up in these like review spaces acting like that wouldn't really happen and I don't care I'm fine with stuff that doesn't really happen sometimes because it was enjoyable it's true and it led to a scene that I think is a real trigger for some people it's it wasn't for me, but I felt like it was um, very brutal in a way that the rest of the drama didn't quite hit me because it came from like that sexual violence place. 
I, I hate sexual violence. I hate watching it. But I, yes, I feel like agreed. it was important in, I feel like it wasn't just done to be done. I felt like there was reasons behind it, but what happens is when she wins the cage fight wars, <laughs> yeah, you know, cage fighting wars. The villain, one of the villains, and like gets some henchmen, and they um they drug her, and then they're going to basically rape her to feel good about themselves again. And she comes to yeah. very woozy, you know, like as they're preparing to like attack her, and she fights them off. But they, I appreciated the details in this fight. Essentially, how she fights them is she loved her dad. Mm-hmm. And she has her dad's ashes and the urn of ashes in her room breaks in this fight where she's, you know, fighting off these men. And she ends up grabbing a shard of the, her father's urn, like a porcelain shard, and then slashes, it looks like slashes the nutsack of one of her would-be attackers. And that, and, yeah, you know, the villain, the mm-hmm. secondary villain essentially it sets him up to get like rejected from being in the gangster club because you can't go like assaulting your sister gangster when you're mad at her beating you up so there was reasoning you called it it. a gangster club (laughs) the gang the gang (laughs) yeah the gang the gang yeah i and and that's gong jay who i mentioned earlier he is really freaking cool because he starts out well we'll talk about him a little bit more later but yeah you're right I I mean I hated that scene and I was like oh thank god they didn't like go through with it but it was still really terrifying to me watching it because you are watching it from her point of view the screen even gets like blurry because you're Mm -hmm. essentially in her roofied state and I was I mean I, I have to admit I was like terrified holding my breath watching that scene it was so uh, but it was yeah, well done. I feel like it was agree. like the using the urn was like so poignant. And I don't want to say respectful. It's just like, okay, Game of Thrones, we both watched and Game of, Game of Thrones would devolve into sexual violence sometimes in a way that I felt like ne- didn't necessarily always serve the plot. And Correct. in this case, I felt like it served the plot. Even though that sounds horrible, like I'm not like endorsing it, but I felt like it was an important scene to have, even if it was hard to watch. No. Yeah. Well, also Game of Thrones would go like through with everything and it would be gratuitous. That too. And sometimes I felt like it did work for what it was trying to do, Mm -hmm. but oftentimes it just felt like sexual violence for male gaze writer's sake. Right. But this is not about Game of Thrones. This is about my name. And at its heart, was my name, do you think, more of a mystery or a revenge plot? Gosh, that's so hard, right? I honestly, oh man. Because it's really both. Because the mystery was very cool. Like she really is uncovering a mystery. Then her partner in crime, Pildo, played by Anbo Hyun, then is kind of like doing the detective work with her it's and you're also getting the perspective of the head the head of the police and it's I mean I don't know man I mean she follows through on the revenge that I have to admit that's one thing I really liked like sometimes like with revenge plots they can almost get like too good where it's like oh no if you get your revenge what's it gonna do to your soul and she's like no fuck it like I'm slashing this guy I'm killing him (laughs) I did like that yeah yeah but part of me thinks the mystery had to be solved first. You know what I'm, uh, you know, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I felt like, I think it did. I mean, I'm not answering this question very, I like to answer hard questions by like sticking to the question, but to me, I feel like why this was successful to me was that it was both. And I feel like it was also a plot driven, but very character heavy story, even though like, and again, eight episodes, you can't get a ton of depth Agreed, from the yeah. characters, but we were able to feel a lot. And in this, I felt like it really was this intertwined, like the premise was her getting revenge. However, this wasn't kind of like Kill Bill with like a clear end game in sight. Like the, the tables get turned on her quite a bit. And she realizes that she's been like a very manipulated tool. And for somebody who has valued having agency, mm-hmm. the entire drama to realize that you're essentially the patsy really does hit you on that level especially being manipulated by men when you're a woman as well and you've had to work extra hard to be a woman in the situation right yeah and I you know I didn't think of it that way that she thought she was she thought she had agency like she thought she was doing everything on her kind of 
dedication to, to avenge her father and then finds out she was just a pawn the whole time. I, and we, we mentioned it, but that's when, so she has this like the gang tattoo on her. And so I actually love that scene when she finally finds out that she's yeah essentially a patsy. She, she's physically sick and she's crying, she's throwing up. And it's like an amazing, I can't imagine the physical effort that would have taken for that actress. It was so good. And then she sits in the car and I remember I was watching it like I was watching the show like downstairs because I could not or, you know, like in our living room, I could not stop watching this. And she reaches down for the cigarette lighter and I screamed. I screamed so loud. My husband's like, what, what's going on? Because I knew that's what she was going to do. I knew she was going to like burn off her own tattoo. And I was like, that is so boss. I mean, I really love that scene. There was so much good stuff. So many gasping moments in this. So it's coming to a gasping moment. The elephant in the yeah. room here is the death of uh, Peel Dope, played by An Bo Hyun. So, Megan, what did you mm-hmm. think of this scene? Were you surprised? Was it necessary? And the everlasting question, will An Bo Hyun ever let himself be happy in a role? <laughs> <laughs> so... I'll say first that I actually knew, I knew he died because I saw a spoiler and I was very angry. I saw a spoiler. So I'll, I'll just say he was, sh- he shot, you know, uh, point blank. I'm not uh, laughing because it's funny. It's horrible. No, it's because it's like so terrible. It's literally so terrible. I kind of wish that I didn't know. And I would have gotten that like gasping reaction. Cause that's like one of my favorite things, but uh, yeah, I mean, he's in a car with, Han Sohee or, uh, you know, Han Sohee and the, the baddie Choi Mujin pulls up and he points the gun and, you know, we all think, oh, he's going to shoot her, but instead he turns the gun on Pildo, shoots him right in the forehead, point blank. He falls over, dies instantly her lap. in her lap. And the spoiler, I literally just seen a picture with like a bullet in his forehead. Oh, that was, so I was wondering how you saw this. That's how I saw it. It was just a picture. And I was like, are you freaking kidding me? But, um, but it was a baller gangster move in terms of like right again we go back to that like gangster code and he really wanted her to cut the villain you know at this point he's like I want you to come to me and it was time yeah. for that final showdown and he knew he needed a right. catalyst and he chose right oh poor Pildo <laughs> too good for his own I mean Pildo is so good he's just a good dude he's a good police detective he's just a good man you know and the poor guy it's shot in the head. I, I will say though, I was still shocked. Even though I saw that picture, I was, when the scene happened, I still gasped out loud. And I was like, you gotta be, you gotta and be kidding me. Even though we never um, saw his parents, I felt really sad for his parents because his sister was murdered yes. too. I know. And that was what drove too, him to that's... be a cop was that his sister was murdered. So he wanted to become like a law, like on the side of law enforcement. Then he just gets murdered. And I was like, but, but that's how much the characters meant that you gave a shit about his parents who you never right. met. Like that is how well, you know what I mean? Cause I did the same thing. I was like, oh my God, his poor parents cause his sister died. And oh my God, I thought the same thing. I will say it is kind of interesting because there are a million movies where the woman is hurt in order to um, antagon- antagonize a man. So the fact that the roles were reversed mm. In this one, I would say was kind of interesting, but I mean, I'll never rejoice on Bo Hyun getting no, never gonna rejoice. But at the same time, I would say from like a story structure standpoint, they really, I feel like we had some super strong black moment and the all hope is lost kind of like all Mm -hmm. coming together when she's finding out that like, A, she's been the patsy. Then there's this very brief, romantic interlude that we're going to touch on um in a couple of mm-hmm. minutes with pildo and then just at that like little bit then we just like take it all the way dark <laughs> yeah no it's so true it's so i you're right you get all hope is lost and the black moment all at once because at that point so the only one who kind of believed her at that point well she was on the run okay at that point she was on the run and the police were like, oh my God, she's a traitor. We all have to and find the gangsters her. And Pildo, like everyone's the gangsters her. know everyone's after her. She has no allies except for Pildo. And he's like, I believe you. And he basically says like, you have me. And for her, that was really significant because she never had her that. dad. And at, even her at dad, all. she never even really like 
you know, her dad had been having to like kind of give himself up into this gangster role as well. And so, yeah. Yeah. And so it was like the fact that, and, and she really did warm up to him, mm-hmm. obviously. And, and was like, you could tell she was like, oh my God, I finally have someone who understands me, who believes me and who's on my side. And he gets shit shot the head. So, well, okay. Well, actually, yeah, okay. Well, let's, yeah, let's about move it. forward and say that, um, yeah. So where he shot in the head right after they, they do it and they do it in a very raw, sexy way. That's hotter than most K drama. Like really like we get shirts off her shirts off his shirts off. We've got some loose sitting up grinding happening. Some like side, side butt, butt. kind of like, maybe a little hot. side, but, and for me, I would say hot but like at that point I was also feeling just fairly shitty about the whole thing like the whole situation was just real shitty so hot 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 and like sad hot (laughs) Mm -hmm. and they're like their lovemaking was sad like they were sad yes this that is exactly how I felt so you know I, I I knew he died so I knew I knew it was coming which but I still don't think that really biased how I felt about this sex scene, um, because ultimately, like, I felt the way it was directed and acted was with sadness. Like, I don't, there was no, it wasn't like joyful or, or sexy. Um, neither of them were happy. He was thinking about kind of the death of his sister. And I think what the challenges they had ahead of them. And she was realizing that she'd like devoted herself to a lie. So in a way to me, this more felt about them sort of, sort of like soothing themselves with intimacy rather than an actual like romance. Um, I think that, I think they bonded, but in, you know, in like that, like I can rely on you, but there wasn't like heated passion. And it was also that like weird comfort, like, you know, when you kind of like take comfort in physical release and connection and also just like, she had, you realize like when they were like having sex too, that any other time someone's interacted with her body has been incredibly violent. <laughs> right. I, I I know. And that's why it was like, you know, like, I, look, I'm never going to turn down like on on skin, but I kind of maybe would have loved if they had just sort of like fallen asleep together, mm. like holding each other. She hadn't, ha- she hadn't allowed herself to be touched ever. Mm. And you're right. And it, the way she had been touched were incredibly violent. Um, and I, so I guess I couldn't like see her just being like, yeah, let's go full Monty after like, I'm injured. I'm hunted by the whole city. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Her world was turned upside down. So maybe this was her way to cope. I just, I wasn't feeling sexy and it, I was mostly just really sad for how broken she was. And he kind of was too. This was sort of like healing for them. So, you know, this wasn't like secretary Kim untying the blouse passion no, it wasn't fun sexy um, flirty it was it was definitely not which is fine I, I like it was I thought it was done well I just it was it was hard I it was hard for me because yeah. I was sad yeah and it was really sad and then really just like that moment where you're finally like god these this poor broken woman and he actually like realizing just kind of like the trauma he had losing his sister and law enforcement and like he's finally built this trust in mm-hmm. her and they've just kind of reached that point where like, maybe there's just this chance for like some happiness here. Then we get the bullet in the brain. Bow. <laughs> it's yeah. like bow chicka. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so it's so sad. Oh my God. Um, so let's just talk about the evolution of Ganjay or the baddie who went even badder. I just, I love this guy. That's all I got to say. So what did you think of his transformation and pretty rad death? Yeah, scene? I just, all I want to say about him, because I know you have a lot is really, I think a villain that always is going to work for me is a villain that doesn't go like overtly, like Hulk angry, like, oh, I'm going to get you. But like, has that, like, if you can be really unhinged and kind of have that like smile while you do it, then like, I feel like I just get such goosebumps. It's like a Joker thing. And I think Joker, that's one of the reasons why Joker makes such a good villain. And I feel like they really set hit this like Gong Jae up to be kind of that Joker villain of just like that night and more like a Heath Ledger almost like not so mumbly, <laughs> but that nihilistic 
fuck the world with a smile on my face villain. And that's always mm-hmm. just like a fun, cause you just don't know what the hell they're going to do. Yeah. Well, cause I kind of felt he almost didn't have necessarily a goal. He just wanted to fuck shit up. He just wanted to cause chaos, like for the drug world. He just wanted to like act out his revenge a little bit, but I also feel like he just, he just wanted to cause chaos. And I will say like the, so, you know, you first see him when he's like in the training camp and he's like got normal hair and he's normal. But then, you know, when he sexually assaults her, Chui Mujin gives him a massive scar on the side of his face as punishment and casts him out. And the next time you see him, I mean, he had to- he's totally transformed. He's got a different haircut. He's got more tattoos and he's like wearing that like fur coat or something like the really like obnoxious clothing that's like colorful and he's just bad he's just bad he's like smiley bad scary and you don't know and you know that like he had been like just that fact that he kind of went for like the sexual violence too just really like kind of gave that foundational level of But then right before that, I felt like they humanize him because you meet him when he's like a bit younger. He's almost like the maknae of the gangsters. Mm -hmm. And he's like, now you Mm -hmm. have to sleep in my crappy bedroom because you're the lowest person on the totem pole, not me. So we get to see him as kind of an eager, poor person who is looking to join this brotherhood of gangsters and elevate himself. And yeah, and he made crappy choices. And out of like his for like his pride and then just like fucked up his life totally and his death scene is very cool uh she shoots him because he's about to he's about to he's about to tell pildo her identity and so she shoots him and he like falls off this like plank at some factory this like walkway and he like hits the girl oh man it's pretty it's pretty cool plus i have to mention um amy isn't here but i have to mention nicholas cage let me explain why. So at one point, Gangje puts Pildo and Hanso He in the car crusher at the junkyard. And that was it's I I'm, I always love a good villain scene when they have like event inventive ways to kill mm-hmm. people and then they leave and then the people get out. It's so great. <laughs> but uh that was there's a gone in 60 seconds scene classic nick cage movie with a yeah. car crusher oh god i, I will so say wag I, of the finger i will always wag of the finger <laughs> the villain because what villain's going to be like not watching the hero get crushed <laughs> i know it's so great like oh i'm gonna leave just like i finally got you in my clutches and death is coming and i'm out <laughs> yeah <laughs> whatever i mean like that is a convention yeah. and that is just a convention and that's fine it is and it's always gonna be so let's just really quickly talk before we wrap up about the final showdown i think that happens okay. because i do think the final showdown is very exhaustingly violent as oh well. my god right so this is choi mujin has shot pildo in the face <laughs> <laughs> Post, in the face post sex post like Hansoki getting like the first hug of her like you know a miserable life <laughs> decade <laughs> and not only that she finally gets like a taste of Yan, and then is like I now know. he's like a corpse so I mean that would make me want to murder oh someone too. <laughs> like yeah God. like somebody takes your like triple scoop ice cream cone throws it on the floor and then like poops on it <laughs> that's basically and he's like what are you gonna do about it now so anyway yeah they the showdown is a fight to the death so how we talked about anoju and like what would happen i feel like now substitute this like 95 pound scrappy chick and they just rip yeah each other to pieces in a <laughs> well and that's the thing too she has to first yes. of all she has to fight her way to him so she's already severely injured and he's just yeah. sitting in his office in a nice like suit. totally fine okay so she's already she literally fought people that's another thing too she's there's like <laughs> two dozen guys she fights on her way up to his office and i am like are you shitting me like by herself just like fighting off Here, she's like a gun at one point pildo 
goes sits in his office and is like you know like i do i wake the finger to the plot like he should have just had it be empty like come to me now <laughs> yeah exactly instead he sent like there's a dozen guys and they're all fighting her and it kind of reminded me a little bit of like yeah. uh gladiator when when uh maximus oh, shoot, oh what's uh the, what's the mad king's no, uh, what's the other guy what nero is his name? i'm no. gonna look it up really fast because not caligula me too commodus commodus yeah it reminds me of gladiator when commodus like stabs maximus and then it's like fight me in the arena yes. and it's like <laughs> maximus is like dying like his heart is bleeding out and he still somehow kills pathetic commodus but um and it, so it kind of reminds yes. me a little bit of that like by the time she gets up there she is messed up I mean, she's definitely been stabbed. I don't even know. She's she's messed up. And yeah. then she has this like final bloody showdown that lasted a long time. Like I was like, when is this? Who's going to die? Like someone just killed the other person because the final I can't, episode was I can't. just fighting. fighting. <laughs> it was, it was. And that's why like, I was like so much blood. Okay. And so then I will say this. I thought she was going to die. I fully believe that we, that she was going to die because she's like stumbling away and they show her like staggering, leaving trails of blood, buckets of blood. And I'm like, she's going to, she's going to die. And then the next scene they show her basically like Pildo's grave and her father's grave. And I'm like, how in the world did she survive? Like, I'll, I, I just can't the vibe it. at the very end gave me slight cruel intention vibes. With like, oh, you know, remember with Reese Witherspoon, yeah. obviously a different setup, but you know, I felt like she had the glasses and it's like, kind of like, I don't know, like the sunglasses. It just felt kind of like the same yep. thing. Like her lover's dead. She got revenge. It felt less, like, it felt like it kind of was slightly, not even upbeat. I don't know. I don't really know emotionally how I was meant to feel at the end of this. I'm not sure either. That's a good, I, I don't know either. Cause part of me was like, what's she going to do now? Yeah. Like her life is like, she should just leave the country. Like, what is she yeah, going to do? What does one do and when like they're how, a disgraced police officer, former gangster right? with not a single friend in the world who has only hugged one person ever. And it was boning on Bouillon, <laughs> which I mean, I mean, everything, nothing's going to be great yeah. after that. <laughs> like, like go find I'm, the Island healer had, like, I hope she can beat healer in a fictional universe. And he's like, look, I have this Island, but my life's going well. You go to my Island. Right. I mean, in my, so my thought would be, she definitely leaves the country. Like I just, can't, I can't imagine her like living peacefully in like South Korea. So she leaves the country. Maybe she just like goes to like Switzerland or like, I don't know, somewhere in Scandinavia. Piano, I don't know why I feel like, lake. yeah. Yeah. And like, does something super like, like I'm talking something where she doesn't even interact with people. Like she's like a dishwasher. I bet she would be happy. Just something where she can just like quietly do her work, live in like an apartment and just like live out her days with her father's urn and maybe Pildo's urn. I don't know. Like, no, she's a better life. <laughs> I would have said, go to Sweden, be a dishwasher and live with your urns. I think right. that's, that's, terrible. that's so terrible. I don't know. What do you think she's going to do? Know. It's bad. I know. I, I, I agree with you. I didn't know how I was supposed to feel, but I really enjoyed the ride like I mean it was again I couldn't stop watching it I binged it hard and even I I mean I I will say some of the fight scenes lasted a really long time it was like one of those where I was like oh my god someone just die already because this is a lot a lot of blood so what was their blood budget <laughs> there you have it um yeah yeah I'll say thanks I'm glad I watched this. I would say it wasn't like a show I was going to seek out and I'm happy that I saw it. And I feel like, yeah, it's definitely stayed with me. So. Absolutely. And, you know, all I can say is I hope next time on Bo Hyun is happy and gets a happily ever after. I know I've said that in like every podcast this year already, but you know, just wishing for it, be happy and not shot. So what are we watching? Please. I'm watching happiness. Finally. Yay. Um, 
yeah, we are going to cover happiness. Uh, Leah, Amy and I already watched it and it's up on the deck for Leah and I'm still watching reply 1988. I am sorry, but it is a long one. Uh, but I'm really enjoying it and I'm excited to talk about it, especially because it's Leah's favorite. I already have a scene that was, I was obsessed with and immediately messaged Leah and she was so happy that like, I also was fixated on that scene, which we'll talk about. I'm so happy that coming up, we get to do Reply 1988 and Mr. Sunshine. It makes my heart full of sunshine. Yay. I can't wait for, for Mr. Sunshine as well. So yeah. So, um, next week we'll be back with Amy. Yes. We'll be back. We'll be back with our leader. And, (laughs) you know, we did a pretty good job. We have this at a reasonable length. Yes. Good for us. us. I'm proud of us. (laughs) All right. Well, yeah. Well, have a great night and we'll talk next week. Anya. Anya. Kamsamnida. Thank you for listening to Afternoon Delight. Make sure to subscribe for more great K-Romance conversation. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Afternoon Delight Podcast for more information on our podcast, behind-the-scenes photos, and, of course, pics of our favorite opas and unis. Annyeong!